If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find and open to Romans chapter 12. All right, Romans chapter 12. If you don't know where that is, go to the middle of the Bible, head to the right. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. All right, and we are going to be looking at this letter that Paul wrote. All right, and I'm, I'm just excited to be together. I'm excited as we continue in our series that we have called Stuck. All right, now here's a little bit of the background to this series. As a staff, we, were, we have always been praying about, God, where are you taking us? What needs to happen in our church? God, what do you want to do through us? And, and during these times, God often will speak to us and, and, and just kind of have this spot where it's like, this is what we need to be looking at. This is what we need to be talking about. This is what we need to be focusing on. All right, it was a few years ago, a year ago, we felt like there was just needed to be a, a change. There needed to be a greater emphasis on prayer in our church. All right, now often when this happens, though, we don't immediately say, okay, next week we're talking about prayer. We stop and we say, God, all right, prayer, what does that mean? What, we want you to, to really just hone this down for us. How can we do this? How can we be good stewards of what you're saying to us? And So it was several months, six months, that we were praying through, how do we create a culture of prayer in our church then? Which then led to two series in a row. If you remember, we did Pray First. Like, we are a church that prays first. It doesn't matter what's happening, good day, bad day, terrible day, we pray. We pray first. And that led into dangerous prayers. Like, we're not going to just pray prayers like, God, thank you for this meal. Bless the hands that prepared it. You know, like, it's like, we're going we're gonna to pray big prayers that we're like, God, we need you to show up or we look foolish. Because, God, you, you have the cattle on a thousand hills. You have everything. Like, we can, we can ask. We can pray. And we're going to pray dangerous prayers. We're going to pray prayers that would uproot our life, call us overseas, and completely change the way we do things. Like, and it was this whole thing, and we did life groups that were going through dangerous prayers. And we added more times that we could pray together as corporate prayer. Like, these things are important. And it was, it was this several-month build-up to that. Well, we've been praying, and we feel like God has said, in 2022, there are some big things that, that I want you to do that he wants our church to be part of. And it's things that I don't think we've really ever tried to do before, and some of them are kind of crazy, and they, they aren't things that you and I can just go out and do tomorrow. It's going to take God working on us. And what we realize, though, is this, that God has this amazing plan for us, but we aren't ready. Has God ever spoken to you before, and in that moment, God says, I want you to do this. I want you to go and, and pray for this person. I want you to stop by the side of the road and help that person. And, and you're sitting there, and you, like, freeze up. You're like, how am I supposed to pray for this person in the middle of Coburn's? And you kind of walk away because you're so nervous about this. Like, those moments where you're like, man, I wasn't ready for that. God was pulling me out of my comfort zone. This next spring is going to be that, like, on steroids. Like, it's just like we feel like God is calling us to something huge. But we aren't ready. I'm not ready. You're not ready. So this fall, our focus is we want to be ready for when God speaks to us. So we are looking at what do we need to do in our lives so that we are ready. And that led us to this series that we've called Stuck. And the idea is we aren't ready because so many of us are we're stuck. Like a turtle on its back. Or here's a better one. As a Minnesotan, you should understand this. When your car gets stuck in snow... Do you care about anything else but getting your car unstuck in that moment? Right? Like I remember, okay, it's 2010, I was living in the cities, and there's this massive blizzard that happened. 
It actually ruined all of my engagement plans. I had to do a plan B for asking Emily to marry me, all right? Like, this blizzard was huge, and I remember being parked on a road, like, on the street in Minneapolis. And the plows come by, and your car is, like, you almost are just like, I'm going to put a for sale sign on it and buy a new one. Or just wait till spring. Because like digging those out, I remember I had to dig my car out. Not only that, I had to, because they had to plow that street. And I had a time limit. I had to dig another spot out that I could move my car to. But I couldn't dig it out too far because someone would sweep in and they'd steal it. So you had to dig it out and kind of make it easier, but like leave some snow. Go dig your car out. Go back and dig that one out. Quickly get the keys in. Hopefully the car starts because it's cold. And get over to that spot. Like... In that moment, I did not care about anything else going on that day. I didn't care about what I had the next day. I didn't care about my plans or my appointments. I cared about getting unstuck. Because nothing else mattered while I was stuck. That's all I could focus on. Are we getting this? Like, some of us, we are stuck. God wants to do something in you. He wants to work through you. He wants to work in you. But you can't even hear his voice. I can't even hear his voice. I can't do any of that because I'm stuck. And until I get unstuck, he can't use me. So that is what this is. All right, that, that, that was a long explanation. But I think it's important that we understand like, the magnitude of why we feel that this fall is so important for us. Every one of these messages, I think, is so important because there are different ways that every one of us is stuck. It's not the same for all of us. And we are doing our best to go through and say, God, what areas do we need to address? What areas are we stuck in? All right? Now, the first few weeks, we covered a, a pretty heavy topic. For two weeks, we talked about sexual sin. It's an area that so many people are stuck. Statistically speaking, that... Over half of us in this room are in some way stuck in sexual sin. Whether that's pornography or sexually explicit content of some type. Or just not walking out the plan that God has for us in this way in our life. And if you missed any of those, I want to encourage you, go back and watch those. Like that, that is so important that we are able to get past those things. Otherwise, we will not be able to be used by God. Not because God says you're unworthy, but because we are so focused on where we are. All right, so I want to encourage you, go back if you missed that. All right, and today we are going to be starting something uh, new. And, and I'm excited about this, and I want us to be, to be ready for this. But first, uh, let's do this. Let's stand together. I want to read our passage, and then we're going to jump into it, all right? So if you have a Bible, you can open up to this. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen behind me. We are in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, just one single verse this morning. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God, I pray this morning, Lord, whatever area we are stuck in, whether we're actually even talking about it or not, God, you can speak to us right now. You can speak to every one of us. God, it doesn't have to be through the words uh, that I'm saying. God, you can speak to every person in this room. So I pray right now you just begin to work on our hearts and move us to a place where we are no longer stuck and we are ready to be used by you. 
God, we ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. All right, this morning, the idea is simple. How to get unstuck from negativity. Negativity. All right. Uh, And I want to start with this statement. You cannot have a positive life when you have a negative mind. You cannot have a positive life when you have a negative mind. All right, it's, it, it just can't happen. No matter what you do, no matter how much money you make, no matter how good your kids are at athletics, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good they are at music, anything like that, no matter how you live or how good your life is. If you have a negative mind, you will not have a positive life. All right, and the reality is that many Christians are stuck in their relationship with God because of the negativity that fills our minds. All right, so today is about getting unstuck from negativity. All right, and, and I think this is so good, and you may be sitting here saying, this is not me. This is not my life. Okay, well, here's what I want to do. Negativity can show up in a lot of different ways. I'm going to give you three questions to ask yourself right now to kind of determine, does negativity show up in my life? Okay, are you ready for these? First one is this. Do I find myself complaining about different things in my life? Some of us are already thinking, like, this is a waste of time. I shouldn't have come this morning. Okay. That in and of itself, do we, do we see what's happening? Okay. We complain. It's what we do. All right? Like, maybe even as we've been in church, like, I didn't like those songs we sang. Those songs were too loud. Those songs were too quiet. The lights are weird. All right, like all these different things. Like we walk in and it's, ah, uh, the person I wanted to sit by isn't here today. You know, whatever it would be. Like we, we find ways to complain right away in the morning. You know, maybe as you were getting up, as you were getting ready. Like all these different things. And if you have kids, like you're, you're complaining about like things with kids. Like I find myself doing this all the time, all right. And, and it's, it's so difficult. Like do you find yourself complaining? All right, complaining about School, complaining about a teacher or a coach or the way that this is ran. All right? I don't want to go too far here because we'll make it way too applicable. Do you find yourself complaining about government? Okay. Now that everybody's on the same page here. Because some point in the last half dozen years, I guarantee you complained about the government. Doesn't matter where you stand. In the last half dozen years, you complained. All right, like we, we complain, we find ourselves doing this. All right, now, now listen to me, like the Bible would, would say that we need to speak truth at times, we need to talk about things, but there is a difference between that and just this venting, complaining, not doing things, all right? Things that aren't beneficial. There's a, there's a pastor that defined complaining as this, to express dissatisfaction with a circumstance about which I am going to do nothing myself to correct. Like, I, I'm just going to complain about it. I'm not doing anything about it. All right, do I find myself doing that? Question two, do I find myself criticizing other people? Do you look at other people and you criticize them? All right, are you dwelling on perceived faults that another person has? All right, finding faults in them, and not in a constructive way like, hey, you're my friend and I love you and I want to see you get better in this area. Just genuinely, like, are you criticizing people? All right? 
Like, look at that person. Oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Look at, look at that mom. Look at the kids. They're completely out of control. Oh, no, no, no. And, and you're just criticizing people in your mind. All right? A negative mind quickly sees faults in other people, is quick to criticize. Do you find yourself doing that? The third one, do I find myself comparing things in my life to other people? Comparing. Are you complaining? Are you criticizing? Are you comparing? All right? If you look at someone else's home and say, oh, I, I wish I had that home. Or the opposite, like, man, I'm glad I don't live in that home. Are you comparing your life to someone else, someone at work, someone that you grew up with, another family member, a sibling? Have you grown up in that type of family where you're always comparing yourself and one of your siblings and you think that mom or dad has a favorite? All right? A couple weeks ago, we asked our kids, like, hey, who do you think dad's favorite is? Who do you think mom's favorite is? It was hilarious to listen to their answers. All right, that was a side note that had nothing to do with this. Like, do you find yourself comparing and I think that this, this matters, all right? Each one of these areas, if you're doing this, all right, you f you're going to find yourself falling into this negative trap, this negative mindset that is always continuing. It's just a nonstop cycle of comparing, of complaining, of criticizing, all right? And for some of us, it might just be a little bit here and there, and for us, we need to get rid of that. But then there are some people that this is your life. You live your life in such a negative way that at this point, you don't really even see it anymore. But people around you see it, and they hear it, and they stop hanging out with you, and they purposely avoid certain topics and conversations. All right, we need to get unstuck from this idea. So a few moments ago, we read from the book of Romans. And there's this one verse, and it's, it's, it's so powerful. And I think we just kind of gloss over it sometimes. And I think it's important that we understand what was going on in the lives of the people this was written to. That always helps us better apply it to us. All right, because if, if the people this was written to lived in some perfect utopia then this doesn't really matter. You're like, of course, this was easy for them to do. But what we understand is this, all right? Like Paul wrote the letter to the church in Rome. Rome was the dominant force in the area. Rome was occupying most areas around them. They were the ruling force. We saw this during Jesus' time, all right? Some of the Jews in Rome began believing in Jesus, and this led to a fight between the Jews that believed in Jesus and the Jews that didn't. All right, so there's this clash that is happening in the capital in Rome because of this. All right, now there's also Gentiles who are non-Jews that begin believing in Jesus. They're a smaller group. And what happens here is there is a clash, and Claudius, the emperor at the time, doesn't like that and actually kicks out all of the Jews from Rome. Says, if you're Jewish, you're gone. I don't want you here. You're too much trouble. And they're all gone. And what's left is this group of Gentiles who don't really know what they're doing necessarily because they were kind of trying to figure some of this out from the Jewish Christians. And they start doing their own church. Now eventually Claudius dies, Nero comes in. He allows them back in. And the entire book of Romans is about the clash as, as these Jewish Christians come back in to a church that they started but then had to leave. And they come back into a church that is not the church that they left 
And you have all these clashes that are now happening between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. All right? So that is the background of the book of Romans. And during this, we're going to see, like, Nero, it gets way worse. He begins to persecute the Christians. There there are times where it's just, I mean, we've heard the stories of, like, the Colosseum and Christians being forced to fight like lions, things like that. All sorts of other just kind of terrible things that happened. So when, when these Christians are getting this letter, realize, like, it's not like, well, it's easy for them. This is hard for me. No, this would have been hard for them. All right? And this is what Paul says to them in the midst of all this. Chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we look at those words, don't, don't miss this, all right? Like, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. What, what it says is this. Don't think and act like everybody else around you. You are called to live differently, to think differently, to act differently. How is that done? By renewing your mind. Like you used to think this way, you used to think these types of thoughts. Now God needs to renew your mind and this is how you need to think. All right? Now typically when we think of change, we think of behavior, like outward things. But behavior is an overflow of what is happening in here. We know that, right? Like, something doesn't happen outward until it's already been decided to have it happen here. So change is not necessarily just change how you're talking, change how you're acting. It, it, is, it is change at the core level here. Real change, real transformation comes when your thinking is transformed. All right, and we've, I've used this line a lot. We used it recently in a series, but it's so good. It's one I repeat to myself often. Your life will always go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Right? Like, your life will go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That, that is absolutely not original to me. <laughs> All right? But it is so true. Like, if you are spending time thinking about something, that's where your life is going to move. And if that's negative, that's where your life is going to move. All right? Now, today is not, this is not self-help positive thinking. We need to understand that. This is not that. There are tons of books out there on that. You can buy them and read them if you want. There might be some good stuff in them. That's not what this is. This is not just like think good thoughts, think happy thoughts, and, we're, and we'll be better. This is about change. This is about life change. This is about allowing God to heal us, to change our mind from negative thinking to godly thinking. This isn't even just negative to positive. This is negative to God. To what God wants, what his will is, what needs to happen. All right, so I want us to, to give us three ways for us to set ourselves up to allow God to transform our mind. All right, if we need to have our mind changed, this is, this is a way we can do it, all right? So here we go. Number one, and you can write this down if you're taking notes. The first one is this, own it and repent. Own it and repent. What, what, what does that mean? It means there are so many people, so many people that they, they would sit here today and they'd say, well, yep, I'm a, I'm a little bit negative, but he's not talking about me. Every once in a while I complain, I compare, I criticize, but he's not talking about me. I mean, yeah, there, there's this and that. No, it's, you need to realize this is me, this needs to change, and I need to own this and say, I have a problem. Like it's that idea that the first step in changing something is admitting that you have a problem. 
You need to own it. You need to own it. And then you need to repent. All right? Repent literally means to turn 180, move in a new direction. So you're going to say, okay, yep, I have a problem with negativity in my life. And I need to not move in that direction. I need to turn around and go the other direction. All right, this is the first step that has to happen here. All right, like my mind has been going this way. That's not okay. And it's not like Jesus. I'm wrong. Instead, I need to go another way. All right? So this happens by getting rid of some of those bad things, replacing them with the thoughts that God would want us to have. All right? I've used this illustration before, but it gets the point across. There's a father, and he's talking to his son. And he tells his son, there are two dogs. There are two dogs in your life. All right? One is evil. It is anger, jealousy, greed, resentment, inferiority, lies, and ego. The other dog is joy, peace, love, hope, humility, kindness, empathy, and truth. And they are in a fight every single day in your life. And the son looks to the daddy and says, well, which one wins? The dad says, whichever one you choose to feed. Like, which, whichever one you choose to feed. What you feed in your life is going to win. If you choose to feed negativity, negativity will win. All right? So first we must own it and repent. The second thing is this. Understand what is feeding your negativity. The negative things in your mind are the direct result of what you are consuming. It's what you are feeding your mind. Like whatever you're feeding, that, that is going to be the result. All right? Now most of us, we come to church on Sunday for an hour and a half, all right? And on, a, on average, this isn't every week for most of us. It's like once or twice a month that this is happening, all right? And maybe many of us will join a life group, all right? And that kind of meets for an hour and a half once a week, all right? But at most, you are providing about two to three hours per week of teaching, prayer, Bible reading, singing, if this is what your life is. All right, the average American spends 263 minutes per day on their cell phone. And this has increased every single year. So next year, it's going to be higher. That's roughly four hours and 20 minutes per day. 30 hours and 35 minutes per week. All right, the, the average adult in America will spend three hours and 17 minutes watching TV per day. All right, whether that's Netflix, news, sports, movies, whatever it is. All right? That's 22 hours and 45 minutes of TV per week. Why are we talking about that? Because it, it, even if you go to church every Sunday and you join a life group, there is no way that that compares in time compared to, to what you are feeding the rest of the week. All right, like the rest of the week is completely different. You're talking like 10 times a difference here. Like you maybe have two to three hours if this is what you're doing. If you're not spending time on your own in the word 10 times from everything else that is around you. All right? Like which dog are you feeding? If you think you can spend 15 times the amount of time listening to news, and that your worldview is going to be a godly one where God is, is, is directing how you're thinking, you're wrong. All right, we need to realize that. We need to fix that. I'm not saying you completely cut every little social media Netflix out of your life, but you need to be looking at that ratio. What does that look like? All right, and the last thing is this. Seek God daily. 
All right? And, and we begin to remove negative content, and we need to fill our mind with what is true, what is whole, what is good. And we do that by purposely investing time in seeking God. All right? Now, this, this point was part of our last little chunk as well when we were talking about sexual sin. Seek God daily. <clears throat> and you should probably get used to writing this down because I have a feeling that pretty much all fall, this will be one of our action steps. Because if you want to get unstuck from whatever is in your life, if you are not doing this, it won't happen. Like this, this has to be part of it. This has to be the base of it. This has to be the bedrock, the foundation of everything that we're trying to do in our life. If there's going to be change, it has to come from this. If it's not motivated in this spot, it will not last. This, this has to be a massive part of how we do this. We need to begin our, to fill our lives with everything that is good, that is healthy, that's holy and loving and pure. All right, Philippians 4 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We've probably heard this verse before, as with our Romans 12 too. But how often do we fail to truly apply this to our lives? All right. This week, I started my week over at Lake Geneva for a three-day prayer and fasting retreat. All right. And it was amazing how my week was so much different. Because I, I, I started the week off just saying, God, I'm, I'm here just for you. I want you to speak to me. I want you to challenge me. God, I want to hear your voice. There's nothing else. Like during this time, I'm not sitting there scrolling on Instagram like I normally would or all these different things. I'm not opening up my email and reading through news articles first thing in the morning. You know, and my week was so different because of this. And every time I do something like this, I walk away saying, why don't I start every single day, every single week, every single moment in this way? Like my life, my week, everything was so much better. Now I get it. Like you don't have three days to take off and say, I'm just going to go and sit and, and talk to God. And I don't either on most weeks. Like this was a unique thing. And, and because of my job, I obviously can do that probably more easily than most of us in the room. But it's not about taking three days and praying and fasting for us to connect with God and, and to have this negativity begin to disappear. It's about truly just asking, what, what is actually influencing me in my life? What am I allowing to feed into my life? What, how is my worldview, how, how is the way that I look at the world around me being shaped? Is it by scripture, is it by God, or is it... Just kind of by accident of everything else that fills my life. And if we want to get unstuck from negativity like this, this is what we have to do. We, we have to be willing to remove some things in our life. And we have to be willing to add some things in our life. Alright? Carrie, you can come as we kind of close up here. I think if I were to ask most of us, like, are you a negative person? Most of us in the room would probably say no. Right? Like, I, I, if you've kind of had the, are you an optimist? Are you a pessimist? Or, or that, 
person that thinks that they're clever and oh, I'm a realist. And you're like, that, that, trust me, I always say that. I'm like, I'm not either. You know, I just like to look at a situation from the real, well, no, that's not really how it happens. All right, like, are you a negative person? Most of us would probably say no. And yet, if I ask, okay, do you ever complain? Do you ever criticize? Do you compare? Every single one of us in the room here, like you would have to at least say yes to one of those. But if we're honest, we're probably saying yes to all of those and probably at a greater rate than what we should be. All right. And if you aren't, then I don't think you're doing a good job of probably self-reflecting and really thinking through this. All right. And we've got to get past this. Our lives cannot be filled with complaining, criticizing, and comparing. Parents in the room, like your kids watch you and they hear you. And if you spend time complaining about your job, complaining about your family, your life, their school, their teachers, political leaders, coaches, you are shaping the way that they think and view the world. You are. And that's how they are going to be. Or you cannot have a positive life when your thoughts and words are negative. And negativity is like a disease. It spreads, and it spreads to those around you. And your kids cannot have a positive life. Your spouse cannot have a positive life when your thoughts and words are negative. We are supposed to be the light of the world, the hope of the earth. And we can't do that filled with negativity. We can't. We don't live the way the world lives. We live in a way that Jesus lived, in a way that is, is marked by love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. All right? Now I want to do this. I want to, I want to finish with uh, one story for us, but why don't we stand across this place? If you've read through the beginning of the Bible, there's a spot where the Israelites, they end up in Egypt and they become slaves. And they're stuck there for 400 years. All right, and then God sends Moses to rescue them. And Moses takes them out of Egypt and they go into the desert. All right, and anyone remember what they spend their time doing in the desert? Complaining, one thing after another. They are complaining nonstop. They are criticizing Moses. They are comparing what they have now versus what they had in Egypt. At least in Egypt, we got a meal and we had water. Yeah, they were whipping us and we had to build the pyramids and whatever else. But hey, my stomach was full. Like, well, what's going on out here in the desert? We're going to die. You know, it was this nonstop complaining. And complaining for them in the desert led to this time that then they had to stay there for 40 years. 40 years. All right, like that's, you'll find yourself in a desert and deserts are not enjoyable. And you can choose to complain and the desert is probably going to last longer. Or Jesus at the beginning of his ministry walks into the desert for 40 days and fasts. And he spends this time focusing on God and growing in that relationship with God. And when he comes out of the desert, he steps into his ministry and the world is changed. The Israelites reach the edge of the desert and they get kicked back into the desert for another 40 years because all they did was complain. Like, you're going to find yourself in a desert. 
Some of you this morning, you're in a desert right now. All right, the way that you think, the way you respond should not be dictated by your circumstances. Doesn't matter that you're in a desert, you still have a choice. How are you gonna approach that? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna be negative about this? And it's not this flip like, oh, I'm, I'm just gonna be positive and happy. Yay, a desert, another cactus, another day without water, great. Like those times are hard, I get it. But you can look at it and say, God, what are you birthing in me right now? What, what, what am I getting ready to do? Like when I come out of this desert season, God, I want to be used by you. I want my ministry to explode. I want to just say, oh, there are so many things, God, that you can use me in so many different ways. But that doesn't just happen. It's not a decision that you make when you reach the end of the desert. It's how are you walking through this time that leads you to this spot. So I want to do this. I want to just close us in prayer. And I think for some of us, we, we need to have a little bit of a moment. I'm going to give an opportunity for you to say, hey, this is me. I need to respond in a different way. I am negative, And right now, I want to own it and I want to repent. All right? So with just eyes closed across this room, I, I want to just ask this. How many of us would say, that I live a life that is defined by negativity. I live a life where my thoughts are consumed with comparing and criticizing and complaining. And that's me, and I need to own it, and I want to repent. And if that's you, I want to give you a chance right now to slip your hand up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, this is something that we get so stuck in. God, you see every single person in this room, Lord, and right now they are, they are coming to you and they are saying, God, this is me and, and I want to be unstuck. I, I want to change. I want to get out of this cycle. And God, I pray that right now, Lord, that you would just begin to work in their minds, that you would begin to just heal them in this, in this spot that they're in. God, that they would begin a process where they can, they can change the way they think and they can begin to focus on you. And like your word says, they can focus on everything that is praiseworthy. God, on things that, that, that are just attributes of you. So God, I just pray that right now, Lord, that this would mark a change for us, a new season a new season that we're going to begin to walk out here. Last thing before we go. If you're here this morning and you feel like, you know what, I, I've never I've never taken a moment to say, God, I actually, I want to live for you. I want to live with you at the center of everything I do, of my mind, of my decisions, of my actions. God, I want to see the world the way that, that you want me to see it, the way you created me to see it. And I want to live for Jesus and no one else. I don't want to live for myself. If that's you this morning, if you've never made this decision, but you want to make that now, I want to give you an opportunity. Eyes are closed in the room. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, I want to live for Jesus. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I want us to close with this just... Can every single one of us in the room just say this together as a church family? 
what we're about to say, this, I want to just lead us in a prayer. There's nothing magical about this. You've heard me say this before if you've been here. These are words that if you mean them, they will matter. They will be the most important prayer you ever say in your life. And if you don't mean them, then it doesn't matter at all. It's just another thing that you're saying. All right, so if this is you and you're saying, I want to live for Jesus and I mean that, I want you to repeat with me along with every person in this room. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking away all of my mistakes. Now I want to surrender my life to you. Help me to follow you the rest of my days. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate that.